Are you just a cog in the machine? Just trying to get by day to day, paycheck to paycheck. Have you ever been asked to do something you might have thought was wrong? Maybe even immoral? Well, perhaps you're just doing what's expected of you, or just following orders this week. Philosophers. Philosophers. All right, David, what are we talking about this week? We're going to talk about a little thing that has come up a time or two in history and also somewhat recently. The concept of following orders, the Nuremberg defense. Ooh. Um, but I want to apply it to a different context than the Nuremberg defense. Uh, no, defense. De- defense. Defense, the Nuremberg defense. Well, depends on who you ask. Um, but anyway, so the Nuremberg defense would be for uh, the Nazis doing what they are infamous for. Which we don't, I think, need to elaborate. Uh, uh-huh. Probably not. One quick cursory um, Google search. Those soldiers were just following the orders they were given. So we shouldn't hold them accountable. So we'll get to soldiers in a bit. But the primary thing that I wanted to talk about was applying this defense to police. Okay. Um, so the the thing the thing that this uh, the thing that makes this relevant is there are several cases where the the police get themselves into sticky situations by enforcing laws that or well at least attempting to enforce laws that many members of the public don't agree with uh, but nevertheless they are on the books and so the police are expected to enforce them by nature of the 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 job description mm-hmm. so then whenever they get themselves into situations where somebody gets hurt and then we have to start holding people accountable for doing that, whose fault is it that that situation occurred? Is it that some people who defend the police will say, well, it's not the police's fault. They're just doing their job following orders. Um, it's We should really yell at the lawmakers about this, that, that, that those laws should be taken off the books so should we should we blame the lawmakers for putting those laws in the books in the first place or should you know is it fair to hold police accountable for enforcing unjust laws hmm you know i think there are two other threads that come off of this that are pretty tight um because one of them i think the answer to that question hinges on is do the police have the discretion to enforce the law or not like can a police officer willingly within their policy or framework, Mm -hmm. just choose not to enforce a law, if that's built in or not. Uh, That may be irrelevant, but I think it's a factor. And the other factor has to do maybe less with the laws written and more to do with maybe the methodologies used in enforcement because laws often don't say what the police are allowed to do in order to enforce laws. Right. It just says this is against the law and here, and, and maybe it also says here's the punishment for it. Right. But the police don't get to determine whether you're guilty most of the time. No, but their job is to just make sure that you are tried basically. Right. But the methods by which they would use to get you to trial, you know, are kind of left up to interpretation. Yeah, exact. Or to department policy. Well, so, right. I think we should tackle those separately. Um, I think we should start with uh, 
enforcement and discretion would be the i think the logical place to start because it kind of shapes the conversation for me anyway so so that in a nutshell is does a police officer have the right to use their judgment to determine whether a lawful or lawless action is taking place and uh, un- unlawful unlawful that's yeah. what i'm looking for yeah <laughs> a, an un well, maybe because maybe there's not a law about it yet but you know whatever um but they think it's wrong but that's a different thing entirely but is an unlawful action taking place based on the police officer's understanding of the law and then two are they obligated to intervene and to what extent is their obligation is their obligation to ensure that charges or get to the point in which charges can be levied for every unlawful offense that they witness or do they have discretion because i think anyone who lives in the united states and maybe elsewhere i don't know i've never you know i've never had a traffic violation outside of the united states but anyone who's ever been caught up in a traffic violation which is breaking the law if you're if if you did in fact infract in that case police officers can issue warnings instead of just arresting you they have some discretion over what they can do in that moment like how they want to cite somebody right yeah you can you can get a a warning if you're you know just barely going to the speed limit or you know had a had your lights turned off at night or something like that or they can give you a, a fine a citation Mm -hmm. Uh, to punish you for what you did or if they decide you're too dangerous to be on the road you're under arrest yeah and the discretion on what action needs to be taken is left almost entirely up to that police officer and there's like an unintended consequence to this where this kind of you can actually negotiate sometimes better with a police officer than you can in court um but it's also a gamble you take because you don't have any rights when you're on the side of the road, as they say. You you do, but not in practice, because you're entirely subject to that authority in the moment. So I think that in this scenario in which the police... like, the, Let's take the worst case scenario for the original question. Can they just say, I was just following orders? Even in the case in which... Say you live in a society in which the police are legally mandated to enforce the law which means when you sign up you swear an oath for which you can be punished legally by other police officers or some higher authority for witnessing an unlawful action and not enforcing it if you're in that scenario i think that can to some degree strengthen the argument that yes he he had no choice it was either i enforce this law or and this other person gets punished or I get punished. I'm just passing the buck. You know, I'm a, just a victim of circumstance. But to me, even in the most stringent scenario there, unless you were compelled to become a police officer, which most places it's not compulsory, you still signed up at some point to do the job. When you swore that oath, you probably had to understand what you were swearing to and that you had to do this. And even if you did all of that, does that still give you the authority? Does that still give you the excuse for moral culpability for doing something immoral? Which I would still say it doesn't, um, personally. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. So even in the most stringent case, you know, 
just because something's a law doesn't make it moral. I think most people would agree with that because a lot of the things that a lot of atrocities that have happened over history were legal. Slavery, great example. Yep, totally or, legal. Didn't make for it, a time anyway. For a time, did not. Well, we talked about it before recently. Yeah, under certain circumstances, still illegal. Doesn't make it right. But for you to enforce it, you know. You are not granted any kind of moral immunity from your actions just by following orders, in my opinion. Um, I can be more sympathetic at times. Right. I mean, like, it's the, it's the classic, it's the classic uh, case, you know, you have uh, some, some kids who are disputing over something. Well, why, why did you, why, why did you do so-and-so a thing? Why'd you take Sally's thing? I don't know. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, because Billy told me to. Oh, oh, okay. But if Billy told you to jump off a bridge, would you do like <laughs> that's that? Cla- that's the classic that's parent, the parental response. Yeah. Yeah. And and if it's so simple that you can explain it to a child in such a way, it there's no, I think, out for you as an adult. It, it doesn't become magically more complicated under those circumstances. Again, though, I can be somewhat sympathetic under certain circumstances of how a person might feel in the moment, but that doesn't alleviate you of consequences in the long term because people every day are held to long-term consequences for short-term impulsive decisions. Um, and that's not a human, that's not like a human rule. That's a nature rule, if you will. Like that's just something that exists outside of humanity. You know, if you still, sure, I make, I, you know, people make decisions all the time on impulse. Like, I'm going to eat this tasty snack and this will have long-term consequences. If you keep doing this over and over of type two diabetes, like right. Things like this will happen. Heart disease. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot heroin because I'm in, because ad- I think it'll make me feel better right now. Yeah. And then you lament tomorrow when you're addicted to heroin, but no matter how much you lament, it doesn't change the circumstance that you are now suffering from the consequences of that original action which doesn't help anybody to just continue to lament. So so now that we've gotten that out of the way, uh, that it doesn't matter under what circumstances, let's look at, you know, the instance of just following orders as a defense, you know. Um, I don't really think there's an excuse for it, you know. Um, I hear similar arguments when people try to justify violent behavior based on something someone said, you know, yeah. Um, a good example is, uh, well, I, I hear, you know, the, the, the where, where I'm from, you know, you, you hear the phrase, well, them's fighting words, you know, and a hat gets thrown down and, and, or, you know, earrings get taken out. Yes. And the fight ensues and the fight ensues. Um, now originally speaking, you know, Fighting words actually meant that you are goading your opponent. You're challenging someone to a fight. Yes. There is a voluntary, you can choose not to accept, that's fine, but I'm using these words to tell you that I'm prepared to engage in physical violence. Well, and also normally the implication is you are weak if you don't take me up on the challenge. Right. Or at least you lose. Like, fight me or you lose. Yeah. Yeah. Fight me or, and, and, and usually it also occurs when there's an impasse in what needs to happen next and the two biggest proponents of branching pathways engage in a verbal argument 
that when they cannot reconcile their differences, they essentially say, all right, well, we're going to fight it out. And if one person says, I'm not going to fight, you're also conceding to your way of doing things, at least to the group. That's like the most stringent of the circumstance in which like if there's a group of just bystanders that are going to go with whichever one of you wins the argument you know if you choose to just not fight you might more people might go with that other person and then you might just be stuck in the circumstance doesn't mean you have to do what the other person wants you to do necessarily but either way uh that's what kind of fighting words meant you know but what what i'm talking more about is so and so man, if so-and-so ever insulted my insert loved one here, I would beat him up because they said something, you know, or you used a particular slur that I find so offensive that there is no possible repercussion or, you know, there's no accountability for that except for violence. And it's on me, the vigilante in the moment to dish out that violence to you because I'm obligated as a member of, and then they go off on a tangent about how they are justified to use violence force. When in reality, a lot of it is just a big defense of my fifis got hurt. Right. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Yeah. My fifis, <laughs> my fifis. Yes. Um, that's not assault that, that you saw there. No, that was uh, uh d- 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 defense. I don't know. I don't you, know what you're saying. Yeah. But it's assault. Like, yeah. If you, if someone says words to you and you beat them up, that's assault. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, it was preemptive self-defense. Okay. Preemptive self-defense. Um, but, but I hear this similar argument of, well, they shouldn't have said it or, you know, I got so mad I couldn't control myself. And we even have gaps in our laws for this type of behavior because we acknowledge that it happens. I think the biggest obvious example is the difference between premeditated and non-premeditated murder yeah um we 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 punish people harder who think about killing somebody before doing it yeah like we like in a lot of other aspects of society we punish people for thinking about it first um (laughs) but (laughs) but it's true like the sentencing for premeditated murder which is one that you thought about it. You figured out how you were going to do it. You had all these opportunities to just choose not to go up the way. And, and you, you still did it. And you still did As it. As opposed to in a fit of rage, you killed somebody. Right. We give that person who in a fit of rage, it's still murder. Right. But we go easier on them. We go easier on them, which says a lot about our opinions on humanity. Um, as a society. See our episode on free will. Right. <laughs> um, and while as a human being, I do somewhat understand what that's like, I am not the most cool-headed or purely, you know, rational person. I, I, you know, we all have emotions, but I think to create a circumstance in which you are allowed to excuse behavior because of emotions that are immoral, anything's allowed. Yeah, it for if that's the excuse because the only reason i do anything is because i want to right at some level you know maybe maybe there are things i do that i say i don't want to do maybe i don't want to do the dishes because it's a literally a chore um but i do them because i don't want to have nasty dishes everywhere i want to have a clean kitchen so i i do want to even though i might complain about doing it right well and also to point out to be fair, we still punish people who murder people, even in a fit of rage. 
Yes. You still have We still can't allow that kind of behavior, yeah. So, when it comes to the degree of which you should be punished, I don't know. It, it makes sense, at least if we were to continue from precedent, to maybe mitigate the res- you know the, that responsibility, but it still should exist. Um, and I view just following orders as a similar thing. Because to me, just following orders, it's not so much an emotion of I'm angry. It's more of a passive peer pressure kind of way of doing things. And, and I think that might be more the example, uh, more of the regular case. Um, a good example is if you're on a police force and you're the outcast because you're the softy cop or you just believe that that's what cops do or you've kind of been conditioned to be this way. Conditioning happens at the emotional level most of the time. It can happen at the the more rational level, but usually that comes in terms of, you know, rationalizing, you know, changing the way you rationalize behavior, but all of that source for you actually doing the thing and the, you know, initiating into something is emotional. Uh, the rationalizations just come as mental comforts after the fact. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You're still doing things for emotional reasons. It's just to shut up your conscience about whatever it is that you're doing. Right. So to me, it's almost the same thing. Um, and also, I think I, I get, I think where this, the other end of this comes from, it's because I think a lot of human beings realize that we're corruptible people. We had a discussion a little while ago where I was telling you how I myself have gotten addicted to, at one point, YouTube reaction channels, right? You remember that discussion? I vaguely remember this conversation. And I told you it was because for whatever reason, I enjoy seeing other people react to things but a lot of it has to do with how i respond to other people's opinions on things and i'm aware of this you know it's it's it sucks to be aware of that your opinions are in some degree in varying degrees as changes i think with each person at each point in their life even you know and i was talking to some friends from high school last night and we, t- we talked about, hey, you want to hear my horrible human being story when I was in high school, from when I was in high school, you know, that was kind of the joke, where we talked about how the times we gave into peer pressure, because we did, you know, and how, and the, you know, and how it feels to look back on that. It's a shitty feeling. Sorry. I know we try to avoid language on the show. You might need to go back and that, but um, it, it I'll is. be sure to the word instead okay Um. (laughs) it's a terrible feeling to realize that you don't always have rational control over how you feel about something and in fact most of the time you don't have control over how you feel about anything um you know you might see a behavior that you just find genuinely disgusting even though for all rational reasons it's none of your business you don't have to be there, but you don't like it, you know? And and it, and I think there's some self-awareness in most people that we want to protect ourselves by creating an out for other people when they do just follow orders. Because what if I was just following orders? You know, I think it's another area in which our, our sympathy gets in the way, sympathy, 
empathy gets in the way of us, you know, making actual change because I would not want to be held accountable if I followed a horrific order because I would think that my punishment is already that I'm going to have to live with the guilt of the thing, which to me is immense or at least would be. But when I look at someone else who does something and they say, oh, I was just following orders, I don't care how remorseful they are. They still deserve something, you know, they, yeah. you know, if not retribution, at least some form of, you know, restitution or justice, you know. And this kind of comes from what we talked about, you know, social justice in that way where it's, you know, before where the human emotions can be corrupted a lot of the time for hor horrific ends because we we just get so angry when we see things that we don't like or we, we, we think are unfair. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this is the case where it's, we kind of almost sympathize with the person who just followed orders because especially if you're the quote average person, if you're not the kind of person who issues orders to other people on a daily basis, then you're the kind of person who probably gets issued orders on a daily basis. You know, you, you, you can kind of sympathize with that, you know, um, but you would never want to be held accountable for something you were just told to do, you know. But at the same time, I think that kind of prevents us from making any kind of meaningful changes because as long as there's room, you know, as long as there are inches given, there are miles taken, you know. At least that's my thought on it anyway. I don't know uh, if you have anything to add to that or about it. But I think the as a, as a matter of practicality, we we have to hold people accountable for their actions anyway um because doing otherwise like okay in the case of police like police are the they are the final step between what the lawmakers write and what actually happens in the real world um so it in in that way you know it's it's sort of if we want to, if we want to believe that we have any sort of checks and balances in our in our political system then this has to be one of them that if if the lawmakers write something completely unconscionable that needs to be enforced then the police can just not do it um you know and and who's going to stop them other police if they don't want to do it they're not going to do it um yeah, I, I think that it is kind of a sticky situation where if, if there's like a, a lone uh, conscientious objector, um, then they can be punished by the rest of their department or, or whatever else. Um, that's an unfortunate situation to be in. But I mean, you know, it's heroic, though, honestly. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think I think the thing like if you if you know, OK, we've talked about this before. When. When there's a uh, a call, when the dispatcher calls to respond to an event, they don't pick an officer to go respond to it. The officer chooses to answer the call right. and go. Now, obviously, it's part of their job description. They're expected to answer some some of the calls. calls. Yeah, um, so that you can't just uh, you know go chill in the in the parking lot in front of the gas station with your friend and talk all day. You need to actually do some police work, or you're going to get fired. Um, but you know, if, if someone, it, it, like, if we want to talk about, like, what what gets a lot of police officers in trouble is responding to drug calls. Someone's got drugs. Oh, no. Better go rough them up. Like, that, that, sorry, if you, if you hate 
if you hate hearing it that way, that that's kind of how it is. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, if, if you, if you think that, okay, well, no one's actually being hurt by this. So I'm going to leave them, uh, alone. Um, you know, it's, it's fine. If you don't answer that call, obviously if no one answers it, they're going to expect someone to, but then it's like, okay, if they call you know, you officer Smith, what are you doing? Go answer this call. No one else is calling you, you, you know, whatever. If they, if they, you know, you, no, I quit. Like you don't, you don't, if, if someone is telling you to do something that you think is actually immoral, you don't have to do it. Right. And I know that sounds, it's, that's one of those things that I, I can even already hear it. Like it's easy to say that, you know, it's a lot harder maybe to do in practice if you have responsibilities, like, you know, you got wife and kids or whatever, you know, you got to provide, you, you know, and, and we have this conversation. Well, yeah, but at the end of the day, you have to make that decision for yourself. Like, right. what what is what is more important? Um, you know, my my moral standing. Will I be able to live with myself for having done this? Um, or being able to have my next paycheck? Like at the end of the day, you you should always be prepared to lose your job anyway. Right. So this is a matter of personal responsibility. Whether you're a cop or not, by the way. Be, yes, everyone should be prepared to. Do, yeah, this is not a a financial education show, but 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 you should be. Um, so, you know, it's like it. Don't get yourself into a situation where not answering a call to do something immoral will cost you your family or your life. Right. Um. Don't don't put yourself in that in that position. Um. Yeah, I, I, I am, I'm having a hard time coming up with an excuse for just doing it. Right. I, I think one of the excuses you might hear is, well, if, if all of the people who would morally object quit, there are going to be those who don't care, mm-hmm. who will do it anyway because there's money. Like it'll raise the price, it'll raise the demand for police officers and it will start to select for those who have no moral culpability like for whatever reason they are just not morally bothered by like or, like their personal values put themselves and their income above all else right like they don't see it as a problem like hey man and like they, they can justify it to themselves as i'm just doing a job you know and as long as they're never punished by any external forces you know because or internal forces or even external forces. Cause that's what we're talking about is internal force dictating your actions, which is your, your conscience. Um, that's one of the things that would dictate your course of action. But if you don't really care about that, if the system is built in such a way that you're in, encouraged to do this and you are not going to face any kind of repercussions externally, you know, I think you'll concentrate a certain type of person to be, start becoming police officers. The people that would be worse, more tyrannical, which would not be good. I, I could see someone trying to make the argument that, well, I had to do it this one time so that the other times I could walk the line. Like, some people might try to make that argument that they can walk the line. They may have to do things they don't morally agree with sometimes in order to stay in a position in which they can uh, uphold their moral standards and others. I've heard, I I could see that argument being made. It's like I, mean, I might rough them up, but at least I won't leave them dead in a ditch like the next guy would, you know. 
and this is where you start you start getting into that bargaining zone of which is the lesser yeah evil. well i mean like i don't yeah first of all i i get i get that you then you then select for police officers who just look at it like a job and they, and they will just follow orders um what's the difference between somebody who justifies it to themselves and just follows orders versus somebody who feels bad while just following orders i mean practically in the outcome it's no different though like to the to the person in the gutter who's getting the crap kicked out of them for maybe having yeah. a joint what's the difference there so I, I that's not a negative to me if anything it's a net positive because at least now it's only the person in the ditch who feels bad about, about what's happening <laughs> if you want to be really utilitarian about it god <laughs> but i could see I, I do see where you're coming from um and I think that that's why we can't just always rely on people's consciences to make these kind of changes. There does need to be the account, the accountability to come along with it, which is the, you know, like there's the societal accountability of it. Right. That's where I was going to go next is, well, okay. We've been talking about holding them accountable. What does that actually mean? Right. Um, because obviously, if they're enforcing the law, then you're not going to hold them legally accountable for anything. Um, so what what are we even talking about here? Well, there's the social ramifications, which that power that can make people do bad things can also be used to make people not do bad things. Mm -hmm. You know, humans are incredibly susceptible to social pressure, being such social creatures, you know. If, if you are an, an outcast and people don't like you and don't want to do business with you or even do so begrudgingly, you'll find it very difficult to, because, and I think that's one of the rationales behind a lot of policies in which you have to live in the neighborhoods you police. You know, these are your neighbors that you might be kicking the crap out of in the, in the gutter, you know, um, or, you know, you know, these people. And and I get that part of that rationale is you can better do your job by using less escalation. Like if you know a person is not violent, you may not take that tone initially. Um, you give more benefit of the doubt because these people are familiar to you, which I think is one of the reasons you don't see types of abuse of certain types of abuse of power in smaller rural communities that you do see in you know, more urbanized communities because it's way more practical that that police officer, well, I'll, I'll give an example. I think a couple of years ago, I, I have, I happened to get a ticket. And when the officer took my ID, he asked me, are you, and he said, my mother's name, are you her son? I said, yes. And it changed. He changed as a person when he realized that I was from the area, even though I don't live there anymore, I was driving through it. And then when I went to court, I knew the judge because, you know, and then when I had to go pay my fine anyway, because I still got fined, it was a friend's mother that was the one who wrote me the paperwork and I paid the fine to. Like, you're, it's different when, you know, you, I, I would hope that how you police those people is different if you're aware of who those people are mm -hmm. and that you're going to have a good likelihood of running into them in the grocery store at some point. You know what I mean? Or they might be the guy who cuts your lawn you know, or delivers your pizza. So you might think twice about just being a just royal a-hole about it. Mm -hmm. um, but those things are social pressure. You know, I'm going to, you know, if 
if the person who's getting the citation or receiving whatever it is you're dishing out as a police officer, be it just a citation, a talking to, or worse, you're going to you're going to be consciously aware of how would everyone else see this? Because they're going to tell me, or they're going to behave like they saw it. You know what I mean? Um, and that's a lot. Um, but even further, I think one of the best things that that the judicial system in the United States has going for it is unaccountable juries. Mm -hmm. And that's in which a jury cannot be held responsible for issuing their verdict, regardless of how blatantly wrong the verdict might be. That jury can do that legally. Right. It can't be overturned. Well, Uh, it can, if they vote guilty, the judge can overturn a guilty verdict. Right, but sometimes, but that's still erring on the side of, you know, not applying the right, legal but, system. Yeah, but in this case, it might it, be yeah, the it's, opposite. It's always effect. about right. The, the whole thing with anything to do. Well, yeah, the whole reason that you have a jury to begin with is this is all part of criminal rights. That you you are entitled to certain things when you are being pulled through the legal system to protect you from tyranny. Right, but this. I think applies all the better when it's a member of the legal system being applied in the legal system. Mm-hmm. Um, juries are intentionally selected from the broader populace. They're not, well, at least they shouldn't be so, you know, so selective that you're just getting the same bureaucrats over and over again. And it's not just, it doesn't matter if you get the same judge every time. Although ask anyone who's gotten jury duty and they'll tell you they get picked again and again. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it, it can happen. But in theory, anyway, you know, that it, sh- it should be random. Yeah, it should be or random. at least mostly random. But this does open the door where even if you do live in an urban community, the responsibility that can you can be held to is still that of your peers, just your average everyday citizens, mm-hmm. not the system that's designed to protect you. Granted, I also understand that there's you have to be brought before that jury by a prosecutor. Like there's every chance for you to not ever end up there, but if you do end up in that scenario, you know, the system can only do so much to protect you before you're back at the mercy of. 12 people essentially um and that's a good thing and i think that while the topic of what this would entail juries can kind of answer how they want they don't always have to go with the facts presented necessarily like even if they were presented poorly um they can their answer to your verdict can i think is the ultimate this, you know, if you get to the point where a jury against all evidence still points you as guilty because of what they thought you did was wrong. It, at that point, it doesn't matter if you were just told if they were just orders. It, none of it matters. No, policy doesn't matter. The law doesn't matter. It's the moral culpability between you and the citizens in which in, with which you live. Um, and while there's some issues all dotted all throughout this process, you know, that we can nitpick. If, if you get to that point, I, I think that any police officer, once it happens to one of them, you, you know, second thoughts about, well, I was just following orders go out the window. Cause at that point it doesn't matter. Cause you realize that someone tried that and it didn't work. Um, and I think that that's good. Like, and, and it sucks to be that person who the example is made of, 
But once it happens, it kind of sets the tone for everyone else because now there's a precedent for mm-hmm. it, you know. But, well, and th- it's not just for the police. I think this might be a good time for us to transition to our other topic. Yeah. So we started out talking about the Nuremberg defense, which mm-hmm. in more broad strokes is called the superior defense. Not as in it is a it, superior. It is a superior defense, but the defense as in it point to my superiors. Yeah. Yes. So... For those who don't know, I'm going to go ahead and quickly read the header for this off of Wikipedia. Superior orders, also known as the Nuremberg Defense or just following orders, is a plea in court of law that a person, whether a member of the military, law enforcement, a firefighting force, or the civilian population should not be considered guilty of committing actions that were ordered by a superior officer or official. The superior orders plea is often regarded as the complement to the command responsibility one of the most noted uses of this plea or defense was by the accused in the 1945-1946 nuremberg trials such that it is so called the nuremberg defense the nuremberg trials were a series of military tribunals held by the uh, held by the main victorious allies after world war ii most notable for the prosecution of prominent members of the political military and economic leadership of the defeated nazi germany These trials under the London Charter of the International Military Tribunal, that's a mouthful, um, that established them determined that the defense of superior orders was no longer enough to escape punishment, but merely enough to lessen punishment. Um, Historically, the plea of superior orders has been used both before and after the Nuremberg trials with a notable lack of consistency in various rulings. So that's what we're talking about. And this is a great example of its usage in the military uh, one of the uh, its uses in a military application. Um, there's a couple of things though that kind of hinge on this that I think are interesting. Mm-hmm. It only counts if you lose. Uh, that's kind of one of the problems. Um, so that's not great, right? Um, which if anything would make you fight harder to win. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is the same thing but for a much more interesting moral conundrum, which is warfare Mm -hmm. where unlike a police officer, you are not just expected to maybe have to do this. You're expected to do this. And by this, I mean, kill somebody, but you're also kind of trained and encouraged to do so. Um, I think, I think the, the, the bigger conundrum is not necessarily that you're, that you're, trained as so many militaries are to kill uh reflexively um and that you're that you're ordered to do so but that if you blatantly disobey an order in the field you can be shot like that can just be it for you and that happens like it's i don't know why but the the thing that always takes me back to this is when i was a kid and i played uh uh, let's see, it was like for the first Call of Duty game. <laughs> and you play as the Russians, and there's a commissar at the back of the boat, and you're mm-hmm. rowing into Stalingrad. Yep. And Just he's. Don't turn around. Yeah. yeah. And all he's armed with is a pistol. And he is not going to be in range of any enemies to use that pistol. That's for you if you turn. If he sees your eyes, he'll put a bullet between them, essentially. And that's like the whole premise of that uh, of that game is that it's it's exposing you to that reality. Right. A commissar is not, it, it's a very specific role and it's to keep you in line 
you know, because it's better to kill one mutineer than it is to let the whole regiment fall apart, you know. Um, so in that case, this is like the most extreme version of kind of the benefit of the doubt I gave in the last one, because you just absolutely can be shot. My only other problem with that one is, unless you live in an area in which you have compulsory military service, you chose you to be there. You did sign up for the military, yeah. You signed up to be there. Um, and if you're in a case in which you were forced into service, compulsory, you could always take the route of being a conscientious, conscientious objector. I don't Something know why like that. that was so hard to say. <laughs> wow. A conscientious Ed. Now I can't yeah, say Yeah, see? Oh, it's contagious. <laughs> yeah, you make fun a of me conscientious for conscientious not... objector. Yes. Yeah, it makes you... It's almost like you give yourself a speech impediment when you try to say it. <laughs> um, so that's that's um, kind of a hard yeah, one. Yeah, that one is sticky. Um, yeah, I I agree um, with the... Yeah, if it's not compulsory, then you chose to be there. If it is compulsory, then I think at that point you're living under tyranny and you're morally obligated to disobey orders. Right. Um, or take the first out you can get. <laughs> right. Um, but even if you say found yourself, cause I think this is the case, militaries recruit a certain demographic for a reason. And it's not just because they're, you know, their peak moldability and strength, physically speaking. And by that, I mean, they target 18 to 25 year old men. That's where most militaries get the bulk of their force, at mm -hmm. least in, you know, quote, civilized countries where we, we don't let children fight or we, you know, we don't make them do it um th that stock of people is just in the perfect position to be given orders that are highly morally questionable that they will follow blindly because they're very as a demographic you know not not, not the rule but not all soldiers but all soldiers but our, our friend lindy beige over on that channel on youtube which i highly recommend by the way and i'm yeah sure lindy beige is great uh, who's an anthropologist. Is he just an anthropologist? Or is he, is uh, I don't know what his discipline? specific uh, fields are, but yes. So he's an anthropologist. Talks about why wars are fought and why they're fought by the people who fight wars. You know, uh, there's, there's often this complaint that, you know, why do the old people never fight wars? You know, why are they always the ones sitting back you know, waging the war, like trying to make the wars happen, but it's always... The, but they're never the one with the gun. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, why is it that the people who call for war are very rarely the people who end up on the front lines, you know? But the ones who do are happy and willing to be there mm -hmm. to do their part, you know? I, there's a lot of romanticization around, around being a serviceman, you know? Even yeah. that term, serviceman, you know? The armed service... Right, it yeah. is it is culturally virtuous. Well, it, okay, it is generally virtuous to serve others. Um, right. And so then, yeah, labeling it as a military service applies a virtuous label to it. Right. And there, and we've talked about this several times on the show where there's this weird cult around members, both current and retired armed for armed forces members. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, all the way down to getting your Ben and Jerry's ice cream, you know, half price or whatever. Um, so much so that there's even a taboo in this area, you know, throwback to that series, which I still love that we did. Yes. Um, of, uh, oh, what do they call it? Um, stolen Valor. Mm. You know? Yes. 
anyway, enough talking about that. So I, I think it still applies here. It's no, it's no different, you know. Um, but it's one of those conundrums where if you're in a war zone and you're asked to do something immoral, but it's also implied that if you don't, you'll die because there's there's your counterpart on the other side of that battlefield who's facing the same conundrum. And you end up in a prisoner's dilemma of sorts where the most likely outcomes are one in which they are going to be hostile to you. So the only way you can end without a guaranteed loss is to be somewhat hostile towards them. Cause at least you then can flip the die, you know, flip the coin or roll the dice for yourself and take that action into your own hands to preserve yourself. Um, but that's not a gamble. Very many people are willing to make, you know? So I, I, I guess this, that's all to say, I don't put yourself there in, in the first place, you know, obviously, uh, that's, I guess the ultimate warning for this our lesson today war is bad don't sign up for it exactly and also don't get yourself stuck in a situation where you feel like you have to do something you actually don't because you're afraid you may not have the courage to do the right thing and walk away mm-hmm. um and again i understand that's a very bold statement to make sitting in an armchair talking into a microphone but that's why i didn't sign up for the army um but the, there you go <laughs> you know and I wouldn't issue any of that advice without being willing to take it myself, you know, and that, and that's not, and, and I think this just needs to be said. Um, well, we're harping particularly on police and military right now. And that's because these two groups of people are given the utmost authority towards violence and monopolies to exercise that violence. This principle applies even in lesser realms. Yeah. If, if you work at a job and your employer tells you to do something extremely unethical. You know, I don't, you know, move that money into this account. And you know very well that, that there's some laundering going on or, or embezzling or yeah. embezzling, you know, don't do it. You know, like you, I think one of the, big- right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is not a valid defense to say, Oh, well I had to assist this person to embezzle those funds or I would have been fired. So what be fired. Right. Well, and I think this leads, and I don't even know that this was the point we were trying to get to anyway, but I think one of the most valuable things that I have ever been able to achieve was the ability to look someone in the face and tell them, no, I don't want your job mm-hmm. when they offered it to me. Uh, and I know that's not a position that everybody, I know there are people that never get that opportunity. And I'm very fortunate to have had that opportunity, but I shouldn't be so fortunate. Everyone should be this fortunate, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because in my mind, I, I get what people say when they say, well, you're not, you know, when they talk about actualization of freedom versus just saying the word freedom, I get what they mean because I have taken jobs that I would have loved to turn down, but I needed to eat that week, you know, uh, I needed a paycheck on Friday or I was getting evicted, you know, I've been there uh, and I know how, how much that sucks, but what I didn't do is stay there, you know, I think one of the best things you as the individual listening to this right now can do to ensure your own freedom is to make sure that at any point in any situation you can walk away and not look back and be able to make it have some faith in yourself 
you know, make the changes you need to make to make sure that you can walk away from those situations. Because ultimately, the most freedom you'll ever feel like you have is the ability to look something in the face and just say no. And know that there's... That you're going to be okay. That you're yeah. going to be okay. Yeah, that is that is the most free you'll ever... I am not an old man, <laughs> but I'm not a young, young man either. I've been around the block a few times. The most freedom, the most free I've ever felt in my life was being able to look and a crappy employer in the face and saying I quit, or looking someone else in the face and saying no, I don't want your stupid job, or you're gonna pay me X, or I'm walking, and you can walk because you already have a job. You know, you already have a job, or you have enough savings, or whatever. Yeah, right. Be in that position. Absolutely, that's where you want to be, and. And I know that I've talked a lot about jobs, but it's this, it's it's a similar thing because being a police officer is a job, being a soldier is a job. You know, these are all things that are thrown in the same category as flipping burgers at McDonald's, but they have very severely different ramifications a lot of the time. Right. You more so than ever should be able to say no there. And I think the best thing we can do as a society, society, <laughs> is is to help make that okay. You know, um, I talk with a lot of socialists <laughs> and <I'm>, my condolences. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's a much appreciated, but one thing we always agree on is the ability. Well, is mobility. You having the ability to walk away, you know, we disagree on how you, you guarantee that, mm-hmm. but at least we can agree no one should feel like they have to use this defense. You know, and I think the way we make that happen is to provide the alternatives the best that we can and then stop accepting this defense as as people. Because at the end of the day, if this is still an excuse, it, we won't. You can justify anything. Yeah. yeah. And people do. I mean... The example read read here. Theft, murder. Yeah. Yeah. You can all be excused by just following orders. And this defense is useless because if if you were just following orders, then why isn't the guy who gave those orders here? Yeah. On trial. Why why is it that I was just following orders instead of they just followed my orders? They did it. Where's that defense? You know? It's not even in here. Yeah. Because the people who give these orders never appear in front of a jury because they didn't do anything technically right they didn't put the gun to that person's head they didn't kneel him down next to a ditch you know they didn't flip the levers on the gas chamber no no no. they were sitting in their you know chateau in occupied france you can't hold them responsible for orders that other people carried out necessarily i mean you can but that's a lot harder of a reach to you know a lot harder to reach for but this separation of Orders issued versus actions taken. You know, I think this kind of harkens back to what we talked to about why people even call the police for certain things in the first place. It's the same thing. You're you're trying to be the commander calling in the troops to deal with a situation so that you don't have to be held responsible for how it turns out. You know, it's all connected. <laughs> it's it's the same thing, really, in my mind. If you call the police because your next-door neighbors are super being super loud and it smells like weed and that just happens to annoy you a little bit and they get gunned down in their apartment because of it, you that's your fault, you know? But it's also the cop's fault. Like, you're not going to end up going to jail because you called the police because they don't want that. Right. And so it's on him, but since 
him or her, I guess. But if they don't, you know, if they can use this defense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get in trouble because all you did is, is complain. Complaining is not murder. Um, but then if, if, yeah, if a, if a cop, uh, you know, if they, if they do a, a raid and this creates a, a confrontation and someone ends up getting shot, um, and then the cop just says, oh, well, I was just following orders from the dispatcher. Well, okay. So this person's dead and nothing's going to happen now. Yeah. No one, everyone else is in too much of a gray area to be held responsible, you know? And, and I think that's one of the biggest problems, you know, in societies in general, you know, people, because there are just so many people and it doesn't even have to be a big society, but because there are multiple people that can all have a small hand in making an action come to fruition, I understand how it can feel really unfair to essentially set up the Ponzi to just be the trigger man, you know? Um, but the reason trigger men exist is because they can always use that defense. If we took that away, you lose the trigger man. And then the people who end up having the hands and making these things come true will have to either just deal with it or make these things come to fruition themselves where they'll be put up against an even more right. rigorous standard. Yeah. And this has been, and, and we're getting way off topic now, but yeah, this has been like my complaint about something like corporations for a while is like, what if we all just get together and make ourselves into a legal person, whatever that means, and then we never have to be held responsible for anything because we didn't do it. The company did it. Right. And the corporation, which, by the way, can't serve jail time <laughs> um, because it's not. Because it uh, <clears throat> doesn't exist. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's the same thing. It's a corporation of people, just not officially built up. It's incidental, yeah. you know. No. Hold people responsible for what they do. Right. Um. But yeah, I, I don't cool. have anything. That's else. what I had to say. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think that was. I'm, I'm good with it because otherwise, I'm just gonna sit here and rant for another hour about people copping out. <laughs> Literally. Um, yes. Philosophers. Philosophers. If you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description, or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.